0: Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our series through the Gospel of Matthew, entitled The Good News of God's Kingdom, we're exploring the ways that we, as disciples of Jesus, partner with God for the real, everyday advancing of His Kingdom. Today's preach, if you wanted a title, is A Call to Kingdom Fruitfulness. And I'm going to start with one question, so it's going to make you wake up a little bit, I hope, and examine yourselves. If you had to choose one tree that best depicted you, which one would that be? We have a couple options coming up on the slides. Perhaps it's been a crazy week, and you feel a little bit like I do, and you think of yourself like this tree. That's an actual tree. Or you're a little older, a little wiser, a bit of a Tolkien fan, and you think of yourself more like this tree. Or you feel vulnerable, a little small, and a little scared, and you feel a little bit more like this tree. What if I were to tell you that God's heart and plan and purpose for every single one of us was to be like this tree? And that is an oak tree. We live in a world that is constantly bombarding us with immorality, unholiness, injustice, broken marriages, broken homes. Honestly, I worry about the world in which my children will grow up in. I wonder which bathroom will my child use when she goes to school? Which gender do you pick these days? The one in between or the one on the left, one on the right? I don't know if my child is going to get shot while playing out in the front of her yard through a gang war or some drive-by shooting. It's frightening. I find myself going between wanting to bury my head in the sand like an ostrich and just wait until Jesus comes home, or wanting to start 500 different action groups to attack every single one of the issues or causes. Neither of these is an answer. Going between hiding and gung-ho action is not what God wants us to do. In the midst of this, in the midst of what seems like chaos, this is what God has called us to be, that oak of righteousness. I'm going to read from Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 4. Now this is not the intermission because I'm reading scripture. I'm going to ask that you stay engaged. And while I read this, I want you to think of this as it applies to you and to the city of Chicago. And with that in mind, I'm going to change scripture, not changing, but just personalizing a little bit, where it usually says is on them. I'm going to put us. And where it says Zion, I'm going to put Chicago. So I encourage you just to listen to the scripture and take it in and think about its application for us and our city. It's a scripture that has been spoken over our church multiple times by multiple people. So this is something that God has for us. So if you be one mind bringing up Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on us because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Chicago, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. We will be called Oaks of Righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. We will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This is God's heart for us. In this world, with all its immorality and unrighteousness and all its flaws, God has called us and equipped us to be that oak of righteousness. That planting of the Lord for the display, not of our own splendor, but of his splendor. This is what the world needs. It needs Christians that are fruit-bearing Christians that are all that God has called us to be. Now, Aaron recently shared this analogy with me of a person whose job it is to recognize counterfeit money. That person spends their time studying the original currency, the original note They are so intimately knowledgeable about it that when they look at the counterfeit, it becomes easily apparent. They don't spend their time studying the 500 variations of counterfeit. They study the genuine thing, that which is true. And this is what the world needs. It needs us to display genuine Jesus. It's not about running after everything that's counterfeit and not Jesus. It's about being and displaying to the world who God really is. It's about displaying to the world what love, what marriage, what family, what holiness looks like with God in our lives. Once confronted with the counterfeit, people cannot help but recognize it in themselves. Once, con- sorry, once confronted with the genuine, they cannot help but recognize the counterfeit in themselves. We don't need to spend all our time pointing out their sin. The Holy Spirit convicts. We just need to be what God has called us and equipped us to be. And how do we do this? We do this by producing fruit, and fruit is essentially the product of the kingdom of God at work in us. This theme of fruitfulness is something that has come up over and over again for us as a church, and in fact, in January, Steve preached on partnering with God to prepare for fruitfulness, about being a people that just don't hold on to the prophetic, but who also see the fruit that comes from the prophetic. Church in the city, this is our season to bear that fruit that God has been speaking over us and equipping us for. At this point, you may be asking, what on earth has any of this got to do with Matthew 13, 1 to 23? Which, incidentally, is the passage I'm tasked on preaching on today. I promise you, Tyson, we'll set our GPSs, we'll get there. Over the next 30 minutes or so, I want to show you and take you along a journey with me of telling you that we are created to bear fruit, which requires kingdom roots and kingdom shoots. The bearing fruit part is the part I want to discuss first, namely what is the fruit and why is it important to bear fruit? And secondly, we'll examine Matthew 13, which shows us the things that can hinder us from bearing fruit, namely not having roots in Jesus and not having shoots that put the kingdom of God first. So see, it does tie in. I wasn't lying. You know, it's funny, whenever I'm driving on the road and there's a cop car next to me, all of a sudden my hands go to 10 and 2, like I slow down, like straighten up and start checking my blind spots, even though I wasn't doing anything wrong to start with, it's just the presence of that police person. The pulpit is kind of doing the same thing to me right now. I feel the need to like (laughs) confess my sin. So Naraya, I'm sorry, mommy ate your cookie that you got from the birthday party yesterday. It didn't get lost. I ate it, okay? I'm pregnant. Okay. So just needed to get that out there. So, back to the preach. So, what is fruitfulness exactly? Fruitfulness in the Bible has many definitions and characteristics attributed to it. Most commonly, people will probably know Galatians 5.22, which are known as the fruits of the Spirit, and these are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. What's important about these is that the Holy Spirit is required to display these fruit. It's not something you can just do all of a sudden. You need the equipping of the Holy Spirit to display these genuinely. The second category, if you want to call them, of fruit is character fruit. And these are a little harder to measure, a little harder to see sometimes, but just as important as any of the other fruit. Philippians 1.11 mentions the fruit of righteousness, and throughout Scripture we see different fruit, that pertains to character, such as perseverance, obedience, humility, courage, forgiveness. These fruit come from daily decisions that align ourselves with the kingdom of God. It's not something that happens overnight. It's a process. It's a journey. And every day we have to come to Jesus, come to the genuine, and ask him to work through us to produce these fruit. Then the third category is ministry fruit. These tend to be more outward, more easy to see, things such as salvations, miracles, and healings, of which there are countless examples. And none of these can happen unless you have a heart for people. You have to want to see these people the way God sees them. You have to want to see God move in their life and love them, regardless of the outcome. And that's how these fruits are manifest. So, the one thing that all three categories of fruit have in common is that they were present and demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was loving. He was a worker of miracles. He was humble. He was forgiving. He was a peacemaker. He was powerful. The list goes on and on. Essentially, in a nutshell, when when you say, what is fruit? I would say to you that fruitfulness is Christ-likeness. The more Christ-like we are, the more fruitful we are in our life. So it's wonderful to know what fruit is and how we define it, but why do we care? Honestly, why is it important to be fruitful? We addressed some of it in the beginning about saying how it's important for the world that we live in and how they encounter Jesus, but a few other points on that is that it is God's will and purpose for all our lives. Whether you were saved yesterday or 40 years ago, God's mandate and will for our lives is that we bear fruit. Romans 7 verse 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So it's not about whether you feel qualified or not. That call is there for every single one of us. A second reason why it's important to be fruitful is that fruitfulness is transformative. We only need to look to Jesus to see this. The one person who displayed all the fruits of the Spirit and walked this earth for 33 odd years... He transformed the world. He turned it on its head. So can you imagine a world in which Christians all represent Jesus in that same way? Can you imagine how transformative that would be to our families, our lives, our workplaces, and our cities? Fruitfulness is essential for transformation. Points 3 and 4 are both seen in John 15. Namely, fruitfulness glorifies God and it shows the world that we are his disciples. John 15, verse 1 to 11, is a key passage of Scripture describing how Jesus is the true vine and that we are His branches, and that apart from Him and His love, we can do nothing. It's not about works. It's about making sure that we are in Jesus, who is the provider of everything we need to be fruitful. John 15:8 says, "By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. It comes from abiding and not striving. We need to make sure that we are abiding in Jesus' love in order to bear fruit. So now, as promised, I told you I was going to get to Matthew 13, so here I am. It's known as the parable of the sower, and it's the first in a series of parables describing the kingdom of God, which is a central theme throughout the book of Matthew. It's what Jesus has come to proclaim. The kingdom of God has come to impact our lives and result in fruitfulness. It's not just a list of laws or a nice theology or just a nice thing to listen and hear about. It's a powerful, radical way of living your life under the grace, equipping, and lordship of Christ. So the first obvious question when we look at this is why did Jesus even speak in parables? You know those books, Excel for Dummies or Word for Dummies? Why didn't Jesus just break it down? You know, like the kingdom of God for dummies. This is what it is. James did an excellent job a few weeks ago of describing how Jesus answered questions, often asking a question in his answering of the question to get us to look at ourselves. One commentator describes parables as a mirror that is held up against us, that allows us to examine our hearts and our attitudes in actually asking the question. If I were to ask you a random question, which food is richest in anti- antioxidants? Would anyone know? And if, sorry? Coffee. Coffee? Okay. That's a good one. I should have qualified that by which fruit. But if you didn't know, how many of you would pull out your smartphones right now and Google it? I know I would, right? And how many of you, after finding out the answer of which fruit is richest in antioxidants, which by the way is blueberries, How many of you would go home right now and buy a whole lot of blueberries and just really commit to eating blueberries every day? You have the knowledge that it's good for you, that it has antioxidants, but will that really result in change in your life? See, this is what Jesus is after with the parables. He wants us to have truth that is not spoon-fed to us, but that is mind. He wants us to own it, to grapple with it, to grasp it, so that it can cause change in our life so that it can produce fruit, which is what he's after. Think of it like tilling the soil of our hearts to make it fertile and receptive to the word of God. Jesus is not concerned about just passing on information. He wants us to have heart knowledge, not just head knowledge. We see example of a parable at work in 2 Samuel 12, verse 1 to 6. This is where David has sinned by sending Uzziah out to battle to die so that he can take Uzziah's wife, Bathsheba, as his own. The prophet Nathan confronts David with his sin by telling him a parable. The parable of a king with many sheep who goes and steals a sheep from the poor man who only had one sheep to begin with. David is outraged by the injustice of this. And when confronted with the fact that that's actually what he's done with Uzziah, he's heartbroken. And he's repentant. You see, the parable helped open David's eyes to his current heart situation and resulted in change. It resulted in repentance and coming back to God. That's what Jesus is after in the parables. The, to contrast the way Jesus approached our response to the parables versus the scribes and Pharisees, we see a stark contrast here. See, the scribes and Pharisees, they knew the scriptures backwards, forwards, and sideways, they had what we would probably call good old book learning. But they displayed none of the fruit associated with knowing that word intellectually. In fact, Jesus called them blind and deaf because they had ears and they had eyes, but they didn't really want to know the truth or allow it to change them. Matthew 13, verse 11 to 17 deals with this idea of not wanting to actually hear the truth. Jesus' heart is to heal them and to reveal the truth, but you have to be willing. This is also referenced in Matthew 23, verse 26 to 28, when Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but inside they're dead. The Pharisees were trying to produce godly fruit from fleshly means. They were trying to produce it from the works of the law, from outward religion, from outward um, works that showed that they were holy on the outside, but actually had nothing to do with the inside. Jesus wants us to produce lasting kingdom fruit by abiding in him, the true vine. So now that we know what fruit is and why we need to be fruitful and what the, parable of this, what the idea of a parable is, let's move in to the actual parable. So there's no better way of describing how to process and digest the word of God and allow it to change us than that of a seed taking root in soil and growing, which incidentally is the parable of the sower. For the sake of time, I'm going to read from Matthew 13, verse 3 to 9, which is the actual parable. The explanation of the parable by Jesus follows in Matthew 13, verse 18 to 23. So Matthew 13, verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. Sorry. 160, or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So, if we break it down to the different components, we see that there is a sower, which in this case is the preacher of the word. It can either be Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or often us in this day and age. The second component is the seed, which is the word of the kingdom, which is now contained within Scripture. It contains the potential for more, but needs activation in soil. The third component are the types of soil, of which there are four. The first is the path, where the word is heard but not understood, and the devil takes it away before it can have any effect. The second is the rocky ground or shallow soil, where the word is received with joy, but because it has no root, it has only a temporary effect, and has no endurance, and cannot withstand the trials that come as a result of the word. The third are the thorns and the weeds. This is where the word is heard, it's received, it takes some root. But the shoots get distracted along the way. It gets led astray by worldly things, and they become choked, and they do not produce fruit. The fourth, and this is the desired outcome, is the good soil. This is where the word is heard, it's understood, and bears fruit in different measures, 30, 60, or 100. We see that the desired end product is fruitfulness. So allow me to release my inner nerd for a moment and let's take us back to high school chemistry. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the term rate-limiting step in an enzymatic reaction. Anyone? Okay. Yes, of course, it's second nature. We were talking about that yesterday. (laughs) So the definition of a rate-limiting step is the slowest step of a chemical reaction that determines the speed at which the overall reaction proceeds. So if you think of a funnel, which is shaped like this and has a neck, the rate at which the water comes out the bottom of the funnel is not based on how fast the water is poured in from the top. It's based on the width of the funnel neck. So if we think of the soil or the substrate as that rate-limiting step or as that width of the funnel, we can see that God can be pouring into us and giving us everything we need for fruitfulness But unless we are willing to widen our funnel neck or increase our fertility of the soil, it's not going to have the desired effect. We can actually impede the fruitfulness God wants to bring into our life. There is a disclaimer. It's not always us that are the ones who are delaying what God wants to do. There is the aspect of spiritual warfare when the devil does cause delay. And there is also times when God causes delay. And often this is to produce different types of fruit like patience and perseverance. But for the sake of this parable, we're looking at the ways in which we can be the ones causing the delay. So now we know the different components associated with fruit. Let's look at how do we bear fruit. Just like a plant needs time to grow roots, send up shoots, and bear fruit, so too we need time to do that. So in order to bear fruit, the most important thing, and I can't overemphasize this, is one, we need to root ourselves in our identity as a son or daughter of God for endurance. And this is what will overcome the rocky or shallow soil. Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7 says, So walk in Him, referring to Jesus, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. So bring to mind that oak tree from the beginning, that massive, large oak tree. Incidentally, the picture before the oak tree was of an oak sapling, which started off very small. I know absolutely nothing about plants, and I have the absolute opposite of a green thumb. Basically, if you want your plants to die, bring them to my house. I will happily kill them for you. So I don't don't grow things very well. And so I had to look up information about an oak tree and oak roots. And it was fascinating for me to find out that when an acorn lands in soil and begins to grow into a sapling, that most of its energy is actually spent on producing roots. There's one major root, which is the tap root, which goes down many meters in order to find the water table or the source of moisture, and then there's roots that grow out to the side. Most of the growth happens underground before you see anything happening above the soil, before you see any kind of outward expression of that oak tree growing. What I was also interested to find is that that root system is often two to three times the size of the tree that grows above it. So you see that impressive foliage? The size of that, two to three times of that is below the ground in roots. And I thought this was really cute, but if two two trees of the same species grow next to each other, they can graft their roots together and actually share the same root system, which I thought was just cute. Um, So we see that that oak tree cannot be what it was called to be without having strong roots. And this rooting in Jesus is related to the fact that we need to realize that he has unconditional love for us. That it's based on that. It's not based on our works. It's not based on our righteousness. It's not based on whether you are holy today or not. Jesus, through salvation, has opened the door for us to be grafted into him as that vine and to share his root system. I didn't quite understand this concept fully, until so we had our first child, Naraya. I remember, I think she was maybe one day old, and I was lying in the hospital and looking down at her, and I was suddenly overcome by this overwhelming feeling of primal love for this child. I am not a maternal person. I hate babysitting. I'm sure you all have wonderful children. I don't find them cute, I'm sorry. but I love my kid, so this was really, this was really surprising to me. I'm like, what is this? And in that instant, in looking at her, I knew that in a heartbeat, I would kill for her. It wasn't even a question. It was that kind of intense love. And all she had done up to that point was poo, pee, and feed. That's it. She didn't even smile because she wasn't even six weeks yet. There was nothing that she was doing for me, yet I loved her with this fierce love. And that is the way the Father looks at us. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus, his son. And we may not have done a single thing for him. In fact, we may have done the opposite. We may have annoyed him or done things that we are ashamed of. But yet he looks at us with that unconditional, fierce love because we are his child. And we need to be rooted in that truth. Producing fruit, it's not about works. It's about our DNA, our spiritual DNA that we get when we are in God the Father, when we are in Jesus Christ. Naraya may grow up and as a teenager be very, very embarrassed by her mother, which I hear happens to teenagers and mothers. And she may want to not acknowledge me as her mother. But the DNA evidence says otherwise. She has my DNA. And it's through that DNA that she has my smile. She has Matt's eyes. It's the same with us. We have DNA that comes from God, spiritual DNA. And it's because of that DNA that we are capable of producing godly fruit. An oak tree doesn't have to think about producing acorns. That's what it does. That's what it's made to do. In the same way, we don't have to think ourselves into producing fruit. That's what we're made to do. And remember, it's not about works. James so wonderfully put it a few weeks ago and reminded us of that scripture, that his burden is light and his yoke is easy. And we need to remind ourselves of that. When the world comes against us with a list of things we're not doing, we need to look and see what God is calling us to do. So the second way in which we can ensure that we are fruitful or produce good fruit is by forming strong shoots. And these are things that carry the conviction of our purpose in this life and can traverse the choking distractions of this world. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Up. Anyone? Okay. Do you know that dog in there with the collar who's just like, I just met you, but I love you. Well, my husband Matt sometimes compares me to that dog. In, in a good way, because just like Doug would go around, suddenly be like, squirrel, and like going distracted, he says, I do the same thing. We'll be walking around somewhere and be like, ooh, pretty tree. Ooh, look at that sail. So I'm easily distractible. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can be that same way. We can be on our journey. We can know that we know what God has called us to and we're pushing forward. But all of a sudden, we come, become distracted. It might be the latest fad in ministry. It might be... Keeping up with the Joneses, it might be worldly things, but we kind of start deviating off the thing which we know God had called us to. Even good things can become distracting if their importance supersedes that of God's will for our life. It's a tough word, but sometimes if you put the comfort of your children above the things that God has called you to, that can become a distraction or even our careers, or even our finances, things which God has blessed us with. When the blessing becomes more important than the person who gave us the blessing, it takes us off path. We need to ensure that we are seeking first the kingdom of God and that our hearts are set on eternal things and not on the things of this world. Matthew 6:19 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we have our shoots set on Jesus and the kingdom of God in the right direction then we know we're going to traverse those choking distractions. So perhaps you're telling me right now, this is all well and good, Sheetal. I have roots, I have shoots, I'm bearing fruit. What has any of this got to do with me? Well, here are a few questions that you can ask yourself regarding fruitfulness. Firstly, are you content with your crop of 30-fold, or are you trusting for the 60 or the 100? God has more for you. He is a God of abundance who has infinitely more than what we could hope or imagine in store for us. So I encourage you, if that is you, trust for more. Trust that you would see more fruit in your character, in your ministry, or even spiritual giftings. Second question you can ask yourself is, are you coveting someone else's fruit instead of focusing on the fruit that God has called you to bear? I love worship, and I love singing, and actually one of my very favorite movies is Pitch Perfect. Yes, number one and number two, okay? (laughs) Uh, I do kind of think that guys who sing a cappella are kind of hot, and (laughs) thankfully (laughs) I'm married to one. Um, Sorry, (laughs) the truth comes out. I would love to be able to sing, but I have a terrible, terrible voice. It's not fit for human consumption. And if I spent all my time trying to get on the worship team, I would probably frustrate the heck out of James and in turn become very frustrated myself. But I am gifted in hospitality. I love having people over. I love cooking. I love making those little gift baskets for people when you host them. If I spent all my time focusing on trying to bear fruit in terms of worship, I would miss out on the fruit God had for me in terms of hospitality and hosting. So we need to ask ourselves... The fruit that we're bearing, is it in line with the fruit that God is asking us to or calling us to or equipping us for in this season? The second question or third question you can ask yourself is, are you frustrated that it's taking too long to see this fruit? This is the one that gets me all the time. So often I hear myself crying in prayer, Jesus, teach me patience quickly. And it doesn't happen. (laughs) And honestly, when I walk into the room of a senior citizen in the hospital. I'm talking about someone 90 plus, so Marie, this this excludes you. And I ask them a very simple question, like, do you have chest pain? Or when did you have your heart attack? Expecting a simple, oh, it was two years ago, or no, I don't have chest pain. They start with, well, in 1945. And I'm like, oh, save me. It it grows my patient's fruit very much. I think it's something that we all need to realize that we all need growth in is patience. And it's something that God's heart is for us to grow in. But it takes time. It's hard when we live in a world of instant gratification to realize that the fruit of the kingdom isn't through instant gratification. It takes years from an oak tree to go, from that acorn to a sapling to an oak tree. Give yourself time. Give yourself the gift of patience. And don't forget the most important thing, patience is a fruit too. You think you're not bearing fruit, but you're bearing the fruit of patience. So the fourth question to ask yourself if you are bearing fruit is, are you perhaps bearing fruit but not recognizing it as fruit? Don't discount the importance of character fruit. It is essential in this day and age. It's often the way in which someone is seen as a Christian in the outside world. I encourage you to read the book of James, which contains within it teaching on spiritual maturity as a Christian. Perhaps you are are not a leader in the church, but you recently forgave someone who hurt you desperately. That is the kingdom of God bearing the fruit of forgiveness in your life. Perhaps you haven't raised anyone from the dead or had 500 salvations. But this time, when people at work were gossiping, you chose to get up and walk away the kingdom of God is bearing the fruit of righteousness in you. Don't discount those things, and don't forget that God is moving and working in us. So it may seem very easy for me to stand up here and share what we should be doing, as though somehow I have all the answers, I have it all together. I guarantee you, I do not. This could not be further from the truth. God is continuing to teach me on a daily basis about all of these things. And I would like to share with you about how he's been working with me through some of these specific things by sharing a testimony with you. Think of it as a type of parable, except this time it's not hypothetical as much as I would like it to be in some places. Um, It's actually true. So I work as a physician, and my whole life I have loved medicine. I went to medical school in South Africa, and when I was doing my residency, I met my dashing husband, Matt, who whisked me off to Chicago, and we got married. After moving to the US, it took three years for me to write my board exams and apply for residency here in the US so I could practice as a doctor. It was a particularly hard season for me. I had always thought of myself as a doctor. That is where I got my identity from. That's where I got my rootedness from. That's the thing that told me I was worthy of love. That's the thing that told me that I was important that I was worth someone's time. And suddenly, that thing was gone, and I was lost. Not surprisingly, I spent all my time focusing on trying to get a residency position so I could regain that sense of worth, that sense of purpose that came from being a doctor. I grew bitter against God. I stopped viewing God as a father who loved me unconditionally and started viewing him as a father who was not answering my prayers and not fulfilling my desires. The tables turned. God existed to fulfill my wishes and not me to fulfill his plans for my my life. On the day that the results came that told you whether or not you had a residency position or not, I remember sitting down on the sofa and I was sitting next to Matt and I found out that I didn't get a position. So I couldn't practice medicine. I remember looking directly at Matt in his eyes, tears streaming down my face. I have nothing good in my life, nothing. Those were my exact words as I looked at my husband. And Matt was like, really, nothing good in your life, nothing? (laughs) I was so wrapped up in my identity and purpose as in the wrong thing, which was career, that I couldn't see anything else that God wanted to do or was doing in my life. My soil was shallow and my shoots were choked by the idol of career. It was another one year before I could reapply for residency again. And in that year, God, by his grace and his patience, continued to work in me. I had to lay down the idol of career and rediscover God as the Father who loved me unconditionally. Not for what I could do for him, not for the things that I did for others, but just because I was his child. I had to become rooted in who Jesus had always known me to be. God started to show me that he didn't exist to do things for me, but he existed to do things through me. I started to recognize and see increased fruit in ministry and in my marriage and in friendships. Then match day came again. This is one year later. And I sat down, and this time I didn't get the position again. But it was like night and day. This time I was consoling Matt. I was like, it's going to be okay, babe. Don't worry. God has this. (laughs) You see, God gave me the gift of faith, and I just knew that I knew that I was going to get a position. But more importantly, I knew that if I didn't get a position, that was okay. It didn't define me. I knew that he had good plans for my life, and I knew that he loved me regardless. To make a very long story short, two days later, I signed a contract as an internal medicine resident. It took the crashing of two independent computer systems and numerous God interventions for it to happen, but he did it in his time when I was ready for it to happen. My heart needed to change before God could start producing the fruit that it was always his intent to produce in me. So if you are here today and you have seen some measure of fruit, no fruit or much fruit, I really believe that God is here and wants to remind you that his mandate and equipping is to bear fruit. And if you feel that you want more fruit in your life, and I remind you again that these are things such as patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, that these are things such as salvations, that these are things such as miracles, healings, the character fruit, the spiritual fruit. If you want these fruit in your life or you want a greater measure, I would love to pray with you. I would love to pray that God would show you that this is his plan and that he has equipped you and called you to do this. So if if that is you and you feel like you want to respond to that in any way, I encourage you to stand and I'd just love to pray with you. If if that's not you, you don't feel God is calling you to that, that's perfectly fine. But if, if you want more fruitfulness in your life, in whatever aspect, and you feel like God is stirring you to respond, I'd love to pray with you now. So, Father, I just, I thank you for these people, Lord. I thank you for these people who desire to show you themselves, Lord God, to be changed by you, to be fruitful. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would increase, Father. You would increase their crop, Lord God. I pray that they would see an increase in ministry fruit, Lord God. That they would see an increase in patience, Lord. They would see an increase in perseverance in self-control and love, Lord God. I pray that they would see themselves as those oaks of righteousness, Lord, for the display of your splendor, Father. Holy Spirit, won't you come? Won't you come and touch these lives? Increase them. Increase them, Father. Increase their growth. Increase their bearing. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you feel God is working with you? Feel free to keep standing. Um, but I do want to just speak to a different group of people now as well, and that's people who may feel like they're the path that was mentioned in the first part of the parable. If you do not know Jesus, the person who I've told you, nothing can happen without. If you don't know Him as a Father. You don't know him as someone from whom you get your identity, your worth, your source of life. Then I invite you today to come forward at the end and chat with one of us. We'd love to lead you in a prayer to introduce you to Jesus Christ. The one from whom all things come. The one from whom our identity, our worth and purpose come. He is calling you to be his child today. And there's no time like the present for that. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more messages at churchinthecity.us or on iTunes.